Welcome to it. And what is it? Chewing the fat with yours truly, Jeff Fisher. Thanks so much for uh, coming along for the ride today. Remember, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at JeffyMRA, Facebook and Instagram, Jeff Fisher Radio. And if you're referring to this, you can always hashtag it, Chewing the Fat. Uh, we've got some news coming up uh, a little bit later in the podcast about uh, some uh, a show that I want to do uh, that will be posted on Saturday, but we're re- going to record it on Friday. And so I'll have all that information for you, but I really want to hear from you on Friday, and uh, we'll post it on Saturday. But uh, let's start today with a couple of uh, RIPs. Uh, Carl Lagerfeld, uh, one of the most one of the most influential and recognizable fashion designers, uh, died yesterday at the age of 85, and really yesterday, probably today. Uh, he was. Uh, there's no exact time when they. Uh, told you that he had passed away, but he's been struggling for quite a while now. He didn't show up to an event in January, his, uh, the Chanel show, uh, in the end of January. And they, he didn't show up when they said he was suffering from tiredness. Uh, when someone is suffering from tiredness, they, uh, are old and, uh, don't want to leave the house and are sick. So uh, anyway, Karl Lagerfeld, uh, rest in peace. Eighty-five years old. He's made some. He's made his mark in the fashion industry. And then those of you that know my, well, I am fashion. And those of you that know the history of uh, my fashion place in the world uh, knows that uh, you know Carl and I are. Well, you know, Carl and I are just like one. Also, another rest in peace uh, that I didn't realize. Um, he died uh, about 10 days ago. And it's very sad news. Bruce Williams, uh, talk radio legend Bruce Williams, passed away. Uh, amazing. Uh, he was 86. He had retired about five or six years ago um, when he was not on the air anymore. But I listened to him forever. And, uh, you know, I met him once. He lived in Tampa Bay. He was on the air forever. And his, you know, the final shows were just, it was his um, his show of people calling up and wanting help with business, money, finances, all of it. It was, it was great. And it was so, he was such an old crotchety bastard the last 20 years. It was it was just fun to watch because he would people would ask him questions and he would try to give them answers and they would try to fight back a little and he was he wouldn't have it. But I uh, my favorite part of the Bruce Williams show was his producer was in I think New York, but his producer was not with him in Tampa Bay. He he broadcast from his house, so he'd sit down with his little dog in his house with his headphones and his and his uh, uh, his his notepad. And he would uh, he would ask Monique, his producer, uh, where they were going to and who they were going to speak to. And his headphones were so loud that you could you know he'd say Monique, where are we going? And you'd hear Madison, Wisconsin. You're on the air. Go ahead. It was so fun. Uh, you, you just don't people just wouldn't do that anymore. And he obviously didn't care i also loved some of his stories i mean he was he was uh a mayor uh in uh new jersey he was uh, a business guy one of my favorite stories there's two favorite stories that bruce williams told that really aren't uh you know exciting stories or anything it was just ideas of business and how he thought uh you know like his idea a guy called him once and wanted to know about uh buildings and uh, why he would, you know, he'd like to buy this building and pay it off, and then he could try to save and buy another building. And Bruce was talking him out of that, telling him, look, why not just make a down payment on five buildings and make payments on that? And that way you've got five buildings instead of one and make the payments instead of owning the one you're making payments. And it was just, uh, you know, that's the way he looked at it. Instead of wanting to own that one building, why not own five instead of one and just make the payments? Um and another thing was that he always believed that he could go to any city in America and make a living. He didn't need anybody. Uh, he didn't 
he would just go to any city in America and he could make a living. And he said he could go to the city and he'd buy a truck and he'd just and he'd drive around and do work for people and make a living. And uh, one guy that would talk to him said, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about doing that, buying a truck. And Bruce said, no, I didn't. He didn't say just buy any truck. What he was talking about was a dump truck. You go to a city in America, buy, get yourself a dump truck, and you could drive around that city and make a living, no problem, and feed your family. Uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, just the way he thought of it. Anyway, Bruce Williams passed away um, 10 days ago. Radio legend. Uh, was around forever. And uh, sad to see him go. All right. Are we, am I done with death talk? Yeah. Let's, let's be done with death talk. Well, it's kind of, we're still kind of on death talk a little bit. Um, New York City's Waldorf Astoria, one of the most iconic hotels in the world, uh, closing. Uh, closing indefinitely for renovations on February 28th. So if you want to stay at the Waldorf, you still have time, but you need to, you need to hop sing on it because it's closing down. The property was bought from Hilton Worldwide by a Chinese insurance company for $1.95 billion, and they're going to have a big major overhaul. Now, the New York City Landmarks Preservation Commission, and who doesn't love the New York City Landmarks Preservation Committee, is working to preserve parts of the interior, and uh, the insurance, the Chinese insurance company, uh, Anbang, uh, has agreed to comply. We'll see how that goes. Um, but they're going to reportedly change uh, most of the rooms in the Waldorf into condominiums. So good luck, God bless, to the iconic Waldorf Astoria. And uh, this is definitely uh, in the death story pile, the death story fat pile. Um, the Australian rodent. Uh, the Bramble K. Melamies, uh, they're extinct. Uh, it's a little brown rat. Uh, they have now been recognized as uh, extinct. And according to this story, it's the first known demise of a mammal because of human-induced climate change. Stop it. Stop it. But that's what they're blaming it on in Australia. Climate change. Now, they've tried to breed these uh, animals, these rats, and it didn't work out. Uh, Sorry about that. But they're saying that uh, the impacts of climate change on the K, including repeated storm surges that killed off the rats, uh, killed off their food sources, um, it just happened quicker than we ever anticipated. And we're blaming it all on climate change. Isn't that special? Uh, I'm guessing that the world has enough rats in it. So the Bramble K uh, will be okay. Uh, We'll be okay without the the Bramble K rodent. Now, Australia, though, is big on the climate change initiatives, and they want to hit their mark as part of the Paris Agreement. So what they're doing... Uh, to help the the globe, is they're going to plant one billion trees. And they hope that by planting one billion trees, uh, it will help them reach their target with the Paris Agreement. Good luck. Because we just don't have enough trees on the planet. And apparently, we don't have enough rats. And as long as we're into, uh, you know, the death watch uh, corner of the fat pile, uh, Payless Shoe Source, Payless Shoes, uh, is closing all 2,100 locations across the United States, as well as its online store. I mean, this is just weird, weird. Now, they, uh, the liquidation began this past Sunday, uh, the 17th of uh 
of February. But uh, their quotes, we expect all stores to remain open until at least the end of March, and the majority will remain open until May. Uh, the process does not affect the company's franchise operations or its Latin American stores, which remain open for business as usual. Now, the Topeka, Kansas-based company has more than 3,600 stores worldwide. Locations outside the United States will not be affected by the closure, and the online store is no longer accepting new orders. Really strange. So they're still letting the franchise stores and the stores outside of the U.S. be open for business and be accepting, you know, shoe orders. But you can't go to the Payless.com shoe store to buy shoes online. Do they not realize that it's an online world? I mean, they must have got they must have got shot down from Amazon or something. I mean. Shoes are being sold all over online. You can buy shoes, any kind of shoes, wherever you want online. So it's kind of not surprising that Payless Shoes would close down their stores. But you'd think that they'd kind of want to hang on to the online presence, right? Weird. But uh, good luck and God bless. All right, I've got to talk to the toy guy. I mean, we've got to get the toy guy on. I mean, we have the Toys R Us news that, uh, you know, they liquidated after bankruptcy. And now they're in the process of reviving uh, some of the process because of former executives. They went out of business uh, after the disastrous 2017 Christmas season, closed 900 stores. Now, uh, executives and creditors have since formed True Kids, Inc., which holds the old stores. Uh, it holds all their intellectual property, including the names Toys R Us, Babies R Us, and advertising mascot Jeffrey the Giraffe. Now, the brands generated over $3 billion in global retail sales in 2018. Now, they became, remember, they, they're going to start uh, setting up in Kroger stores. They've got a deal, a partnership between Toys R Us and Kroger. There's uh, there's a huge consumer demand for the trusted experience of Toys R Us and Babies R Us. So good luck with that. We've got that going on. And then also this past weekend, which would have been fun to be at, it ended uh, on Tuesday the 19th, which is the day of this recording uh, of, the, of this podcast. But it, it went from Saturday to the Tuesday. Uh, the 116th North American International Toy Fair in New York. Oh my gosh, it would have been fun to be at. It's the largest toy fair in the Western Hemisphere, or at least that's what it's billed as. Uh, more than 30,000 people attended. We've got to talk to the toy guy. I've got to get the toy guy back on here. So the size of the U.S. toy industry was around $28 billion in 2018, uh, according to the Toy Association. Uh, which is actually a decrease from 2017 by 2%, but still a decrease. Now, some of the toys that were uh, included that we saw at the North American International Toy Fair, um, Wicked Cool Toys is launching a line of streamer-themed figures, including one of uber-popular gamer Tyler Ninja Blevins, Lego... uh, Lego's new hidden side sets that can be paired with an AR app. Hasbro's Nerf showed off blasters inspired by the hit video games Fortnite and Overwatch. And of course, uh, some of the other trends that we're looking for is Unboxing 2.0, where, you know, the packaging, of course, is a key part of the toy experience. That's been, they've been trying to ram that down our throats for quite a while now. And there's some big anniversaries this year as well. Sesame Street, 50. Barbie, 60. And the good news about Barbie, which they don't mention here, which we found out, that they're going to start having uh, the handicapped Barbies. You're going to have uh, the Barbie in a wheelchair and the Barbie with, uh, with the prosthetic leg. So that's good news coming from the North American International Toy Fair. Great news. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the break room, get a drink, and uh, see some of the headlines in the break room, shall we? Thank <laughs> you.
Oh, man. That is good. All right, well, we're in the break room. Let's talk a little bit of space, okay? So we have, uh, did you realize that uh, scientists have discovered 300,000 new galaxies, right? Uh, The team of astronomers from 18 countries, uh, they're hoping that this obviously could unlock some of the, the universe's biggest secrets, um, okay, well, maybe maybe it will and maybe it won't, but the sad news uh, coming from uh, Mars One Ventures, you know, the company that uh, behind, uh, you know, they want to colonize the red planet and uh, they want to do their reality show and they want to have people show up and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's over. Uh, they're not doing that anymore. Uh, nope, it's uh, being considered now the Fry Festival of Space. Uh, that's, that's what it's being called. Uh, Is a documentary coming? Uh, you can bet a documentary will be coming. Yeah, this will try to, all the people that are owed money, they'll make a documentary and say, that's all you get. Break it up between yourselves. Sorry. Uh, it was supposed to send four amateur astronauts and a one-way trip, 2023. Uh, budget had $6 billion. $6 billion was the budget. I'd like to see their bank, their personal bank accounts, how that came out of that. We can't make the show, but, you know, yeah, I know. I've still got the yard guy, though. Don't worry about that. Now, <laughs> you know he's still got the yard guy. They're not giving up the yard guy for this. So just uh, be sad for that because uh, the mission is over. And uh, maybe we'll try it again. Maybe, maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. I don't know. But those of you that had plans of hopefully being part of the reality show, eh, eh. good luck. God bless. We also have uh, the opportunity for a new super moon. I thought we just had the stupid super moon. That was a red moon. What? That was a red moon. It was supposed to be a super moon. Blood moon. That's what yeah, we, it was a blood moon. moon. Blood moon. That's right. It was a blood moon. But that's still part of the super moon family, right? I think it is. <laughs> but this one. Is a snow moon. All right. It's the second super moon of the year. It's the second super moon of the year. See, so it's in the super moon family. This one's the snow moon, and the other one was, well, the blood moon. It's also going to be the brightest. All right. So uh, the full moon is now called, like I said, the, it, well, it's been called by the Native Americans, and I hope I'm not appropriating their culture or anything by calling it the snow moon. That's what they call it. Don't ask me what. Because it falls in February and there's usually heavy snowfall. Thank you. It's also known as the hunger moon. Because it's traditionally arrived at a time uh, of lean eating. Yeah. So (laughs) we've eaten all the food we had stored from the fall. Is it ever going to be summer again? No. Oh, look, there's a full moon. Oh, that's a hunger moon. That bastard snow moon. We can go out and hunt in the winter, maybe find something in the winter. So uh, it happens today, February 19th, 2019. It'll be brighter. Uh, it's going to be the brightest moon you've ever seen in your life. In fact, it's going to be so bright, you're going to be you're gonna want to shut off the lights. All right, cities could save a lot of money. They just shut off the lights now because it's super moon night. Um. <laughs> Is your wife going out and take pictures? <laughs> oh, yes. You know, she's everywhere. Now, uh, let me see if she'll be able to see it, though, because maybe the hunger moon, like, I don't know where you can, where you're going to get the best shot of it. Uh, let's see. If you have trouble seeing the super moon, snow, super snow, oh, it's the super snow moon, okay, tonight, uh, because of the overcast skies. Oh, and March 21st, we have another one. March 21st, we have the worm moon. What the hell is going on with this moon stuff? Come on. All right, so when do I see it? Okay, so it starts uh, early early in the morning. Uh, being It's only going to be 221,681 miles from Earth. That's good. It's perfect. I mean, that's, that's like a hop, skip, and a jump. Uh, the closest distance will take place at 4.07 a.m. Oh, it already happened. 4.07 a.m. today. We already missed it. What? 
Oh no! Oh no! I didn't see any pictures of the the great snow moon either online. What's going on? It already happened at the closest. We didn't see any great pictures of the snow moon. People were too hungry to get there. The hunger moon, lean eating, or too much to get there. Now, let's see. Though the moon will look larger and brighter than normal starting tonight, which was. It was yesterday, and then again on well. So we get it's going to look bright again, but it's not going to be the actual full fullest super snow moon as it is. What the heck? How how come we didn't know this? I should have been up at four oh seven a.m. with taking a picture of the super snow moon people. Good news at Walmart too when you're shopping at Walmart, and you know, look. I, I, I do, uh, you know, shop at Walmart from time to time. Uh, you know, it's part of my life. I'm a, big, uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the Supercenter stores. You walk in, they built a new Walmart not far from my house. This bad boy, you can get anything in the world you want there. It, and it's beautiful. It's brand new. It's beautiful. You walk in, I mean, the ceilings are high. It, it just, it's gorgeous. And now, in Florida, they've started a new... A new task. All you people that have been complaining about uh, Walmart's not paying you enough, and uh, you can't get benefits, and uh, you've been a you know all all they want me to do is be a part time cashier, and I'm complaining that I don't get fifteen dollars an hour, and I want full time money. Yeah, well they've got uh, they've got new robots scanning the aisles now at Walmart in Florida. They're gonna well, you know they're just gonna take stock. Uh, see what's on the shelf. What what what's selling? What they need? Oh, we need to order some uh, strawberry banana jello. Boop. In the system it goes, and it does make it makes the same sound as when you get the alert that my podcast chewing the fat comes on. Boop. And uh, you don't have to. And plus, you don't have to have the manager or anything. You just check with the robot on the prices. I oh, need a price check aisle two. Boop. Thirty nine cents. I wonder if it just automatically goes into the PA system. This is Robot 10, 39 cents. Uh, oh, it's going to be all throughout Tampa Bay, too. I want, I got to go back home. Man. Tampa Bay still something. Oh, I miss Florida. Why don't you just go there then? Uh, I mean, because I'm working here. And there's no possible way to get Are you get working? To... Okay, that hurts. Right, that hurts. That hurts. Remember the, uh, hey, since this is kind of like Death Tuesday. Um, I mean, we've covered we've covered a number of deaths of things dying. We covered uh, Karl Lagerfeld. We covered Bruce Williams, uh, the iconic Bruce Williams. Uh, we covered uh, the the rat that's extinct now uh, in uh, in Australia because of climate change. But remember remember the iconic World War II photo of the sailor kissing the nurse in Times Square, and uh, that was the iconic photo. Well, that guy George Mendoza. Uh, had just passed away, 96th birthday. Uh, well, he was close to his 96th birthday, so technically he was still 95. But uh, you know, he was getting up there pretty close to 96. Well, at that at that age, you know, 94, 95, 96. Who cares? Right, you're in your 90s. You're gonna make it to 100, maybe. But George, no, is the answer. But he's gone. But that's iconic. Remember, people tried to rob him of his of his due too of that picture. A lot of people like. Like, this would be something that I would do. This is a guy that nobody really knew who it was, so you take credit for it. Like, yeah, that's me. You know, like when you watch movies and you see uh, extras walk by in the movies? That's me. I was in that movie right there. That's me right there. Look, look, look. Pause it. That's me. And uh, so a lot of people tried to beat George Mendoza, but eh, eh, nope. He came through and said, no, 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 no. That's me. And you can go ahead and do your little facial recognition thing, too, because uh, that's all me. Oh, and I know people are getting all wound up. As long as we're in the break room, we're talking a little bit of a little bit of love and iconic kissing and stuff. Steven Tyler, seventy years old from Aerosmith. I love him. Right, Steven Tyler, he's seventy. He doesn't look seventy. He may feel it, but he doesn't look like it. Uh, people are all wound up at uh, Steven because of his thirty-year-old uh, uh, girlfriend. Um. So, I mean, so what that his daughters are older. Bless his heart, is what I say. Okay, I mean these guys, Stephen Tyler, the Aerosmith, Rolling Stones. I, these guys, they are they have lived the dream, man. They and continue to do so, and they're probably going to go to the Paris Museum, 
which is now going to uh, open its door to nudists. And it's good. Well, every time you want to go to a, a museum, you think to yourself, if I could only just walk around naked to view these pieces of art, that would be so good. I can't even enjoy these paintings because I have clothes on. Well, so now the uh, they ch- you check your clothing at the cloakroom and then you can wander the halls at the the museum in Paris and just to enjoy the experience of you and others naked walk wandering through the museum. In fact, I'm willing to bet, this is just off the top of my head now, I'm willing to bet, that you'll spend more time looking at the guests than you will at the artwork. You may be pretending you're looking at the painting. Oh, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. Did you see the dark-haired lady with the eyes of I did. I did. Don't look. Don't pretend like you're not looking. I can't, but look at that guy right there. Oh, my God. That's what you're going to do the whole day. Now, they're going to tell you that you're not because you just want to share the experience and be one with art. Shut up. I wonder if they're going to allow cameras. You know, now they, I'm sure they'll say they won't, but are they going to shut off all the security cameras and everything? We're going to get footage. I want footage of the, the nudists perusing the Parisian Museum of Art, enjoying it naked oh that sounds so good all right before we leave the break room one 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 last story for the break room uh eddie murphy's coming to america all right one of the greatest movies of all time in fact it it may rank in my world as the best and funniest movie of all time hangover the first one is pretty is pretty is up there quite a ways but it's not as good as eddie murphy's uh coming to america now there's a sequel coming out. It's supposed to be released in 2020. It's going to be funny because it's Eddie Murphy, and Eddie is you know still really funny, and I love him, and, he, and you know he's going to make he's going to make this really well. But can it be done? Can it be done? Because in today's world, there's so much in that movie that doesn't work in today's world. What scene is not appropriate for today's world? Uh, I mean, they talk about uh, coming to America to get their queen. What's wrong with um, that? The dad, I mean, uh, James Earl Jones is, uh, you know, the king of this country that doesn't exist. You're kind of forgetting their so, skin color. Can you really be bad if you're that skin color? Uh, if it was South Africa, then I see a problem with that. And they talked about, uh, you know, uh, one thing queen's got a lot of is... <laughs> Uh, Queen's got a lot of those. I I love this. Movie. I can quote every. I know you can. Movie. I know. I'm I trying to make you quote. Freaking love this movie, and my wife hates it. I know. I saw it this morning on her Twitter. She was yelling. Oh, she did. Oh my gosh. She was. She I'll tagged you, Elvis, Max. Yeah, because see, where she gets mad is that we've and we we have talked. I may have talked about it before here. You know, she gets mad because we just go. You the quote rest the of movie the instead of watching the movie, and we continue throughout the rest of the day. No matter what we're doing. It doesn't matter. My son works. Any line works great. A shame what they did to that dog. Uh, hey, you boys, we got a little bit of an insect problem. You boys from Africa used to that, though. Uh, I do like the barbershop scene. <laughs> those, those are great. Those are great. I mean, all of them are great. Ah, And, uh, you know, yeah, your rent's due. Did they drop the N-word on yeah, I know you're it? conscious. I don't think so. I'm trying to think I don't here because I know do. the barbershop was pretty uh, I don't think they salty, do, but no, I, don't I don't think, think they, they do. do. No, they do not. So that that's a good. That's a good. They I don't think they do. Um, I don't think they do, which is good. I mean, I'm, I'm okay with it because there was no parts. McDowell's was great. Come on, stop taking a picture. <laughs> and I move up to fries. That's when the big bucks kick in. I mean, that's, come on, that's classic stuff. And Soul Glow, oh man, that uh, the whole family with the Soul Glow stain on the sofa at the party, good stuff, good stuff. And uh, the sister, I mean, it's all. So it does. I guess it does, right? I mean, now that I'm working, working on it, it still no, works. It still it's stands good. good. It doesn't it still have stands anything good that today. Should, you know, mess you know, up that PC stuff. Wasn't rated. That's a good question. Probably. Uh, I would say PG-13, right? 
I'm coming to America. That's how I, that's a, I just say that every time, whether I'm on a microphone or not. Uh, it's R-rated. What? Come on. Why is it R-rated? No, that... That's strange. I wonder why that is R-rated. Because they don't have any really... They don't have any sex scenes. Right? There's no real swearing. Well, he does say, uh, uh, F you. The barbershop, there's a scene in the barbershop where he goes, F you, F you, and F you. Who's next? Oh, and that's the thing. I learned that from Steve Days uh, that in order to get R-rated, you have to say, if you say more than two F-bombs, you get automatically R-rated. I believe that. And so right there, I mean, that scene alone has three. But in today's world, come on. According to this, One it says, scene with three Fs means nothing. That's like, that's like mom and dad at the dinner table. Right? It's not even close. Come on. Those kids hear that at the playground. According to this, it has more F words and other epithets. Oh, yeah. Well, he does. That's right. And he does say at. when he's outside singing and the guys hollered at him and says, F you. F you, too. He's so happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and on sex scenes, it has three out of five stars. What? What sex scenes do they you have? you see the bare breasts. Up, and that's the, the the beginning scene when the ladies come out oh, of the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. bath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always thought you had sex with your bathers. I know I do. <laughs> Hello, Babar. They're talking, the little elephant runs by. Hello, Babar. And it has ah. uh, three out of five on drinking drugs and smoking. Characters are shown drinking oh, yeah, cocktails they, and yeah, beers at the bar and at home. Man's got to do overtime <laughs> when they're in the bar looking for a wife. That's where your problem is. You're looking for the wrong places. You got, you know, where you find a good girl at church. <laughs> That's where I will be right here. <laughs> well, it was in theaters in 1988. I know, I know, like a thousand years ago. It's I was so, not even born yet. It's uh, right, right. I mean, it's just amazing. I wasn't either, but I, that's why I fell in love with it. I fell in love with it in. Uh, eh, what year did I fall in love with it? In it 99 when it came ago. on yeah, DVD. A couple years ago. A couple years ago. You know, when I was ten or twelve. Wait, 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 wait. So it came out in theaters in 1988 and did not make into DVD in '99. Oh, DVD. Yes. Oh, yeah, VHS. It, they had VHS tapes. Yeah. Duh. I thought you weren't born yet. My son works. <laughs> Same, he's got a little bit of an insect problem. Boys from Africa used to that, but I know that <laughs> there's so many. I could I could just quote the rest of the movie now. I just want to go through the entire movie when he comes in and she's hopping up and down like what she's got to do what he says. And she's hopping up and down like a monkey, and he just looks at the camera, the Eddie Murphy look. And then dad comes in. Ah, I see you're getting along. So good. Isn't he playing uh, uh, Simba's dad on the new live action Lion King? Is he? I mean, it's possible. It wouldn't surprise me. But James is getting up there now, too. James is a guy that's about at the age that we talked about yesterday, where he's about getting those interviews where he's going to say anything he wants. That's the guy we need to look to is the James Earl Jones. Right, because what's James Earl Jones? Eighty. He's probably at what? Eighty-one, eighty-two now. Eighty-eight. Oh, he's there. He's and there. He's long past prime time. We need to get an interview with him because he. We start getting him going down the road of, yeah, that guy was wasn't very nice, and just have him go off. Although James is pretty smart, he's been in a lot of. He's probably too smart for that. We can try. All right, so let's take care of a little business. Let's find out uh, on Friday. I want to list have some people call in and uh, give us their DMV stories. I want to, and we'll post it on Saturday. But I want to take I want to take your calls on Friday afternoon and post your DMV stories. Now we told a couple of DMV stories yesterday on the podcast, and then we finished up with the uh, Chris Cruz po- DMV story today, uh, not on the podcast, and it won't make this podcast today. But you will hear it. On Saturday, because uh, I want I want you to call. So, do they need to call this number, or do we need to have them call the the, nope, r- nope, the big nope, number? Nope, that number. Whoa, whoa! Uh, do not give the other number. Don't give the other number. What number are you going to give? 
I just had it ready in case. No, you cannot give that number. Why can't I? I can do what the heck I want. I know you can, but if you do say that number, I'm going to bleep it. So give that number right there. 888-727-BECK. See, I just bleeped it. So they didn't hear anything. Fine. All they heard was 888. Fine. 888-900-3393. 888-900-3393. On Friday afternoon from, what did we just decide? Noon? 1 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, noon Central yeah. to... 3 p.m. Eastern. Three hours? What, are you trying to kill me? No- well, I want to give him a nice... You know, you just got done eating lunch. Do you really want to talk to Jeffy after you got eating lunch? <laughs> I know I don't. I know I don't. <laughs> so, so, all right. So, uh, one to four Eastern, noon to three Central, and you can work out the rest of the time zones on your own. So, uh, Mountain Time, go. I'm no, I don't live in Mountain Time. Why do I need to worry about Mountain Alaska Time? Alaska Time, go. What about east of the Rockies, west of the Rockies? <laughs> Mexico Time, go. Call your international operator and get your access code. Then dial 1-888-900-3393. Dancing queen. I know. know. So so Friday afternoon, I want to take your calls, and I want to hear your DMV stories. Good or bad. Good or bad. Now, most people, I'm guessing, have experiences that are not really so great. But I do want to hear your stories. Now, I will, I've got a couple uh, that we can talk about. I know Chris has got a couple. Plus, Chris has got an update from what we talked about yesterday on his DMV story. And uh, so I want to hear some bad stories. I want, I want to post this on Saturday. So hopefully, we know the DMV is closed on Saturday. So they'll be able to listen to they'll us. They'll be able to listen and perhaps learn a lesson or two on how to help people without being DMV dicks. Oh, did I? I don't want to push people in the wrong direction. So without being DMV douche workers, employees that lose the care of the people and only care about their job and their paycheck and the rest of the people they don't care about. And if any representative are listening on Saturday, maybe you could use this as an excuse to be like privatize the DMV. And, you know, if you work for the DMV, let's say you call in sick on Friday. Because, I mean, it'd be a big surprise that somebody from the DMV would call in sick. How dare you? How dare you? Or uh, you take a lunch break and you go out in the parking lot and you smoke your cigarettes and you have your little snack and you take your break. And what's supposed to be an hour is usually an hour and a half. But that that having been said, so you take your lunch break and you call 888-900-3393 and be a part of the show and tell us your side. Of the DMV That'll be stories. fantastic. Let's hear your side of of how you have uh, appear to be disingenuous, appear to be hateful, appear to be uh, angry at life. But it's only the people on the other side of the desk that are causing this, not you. You have family and friends and just want to get home to barbecue. I want to hear that side too. It's only fair, both sides. I want to hear that side too. So Friday afternoon. One to four Eastern, noon to three Central. The rest of the time, I'm not playing that game anymore. I just figure out your own time zone. Chicago time, go. What time? Chicago time. Chicago go. is Central. Yeah, it's yeah, noon to go. three. You got it. Already done. Noon to three. Mountain time is eleven to two. You want something else for me? I do. Pacific. Uh, ten to one. 10 a.m. to 1 a.m. So if you were in California, you work at the DMV. I mean, you got plenty of time. You don't even open. Do you even open? Even open? I was going to say, are they even open? <laughs> so anyway, uh, I'll tease it again tomorrow, and we'll tweet it, and we'll, we'll tweet out the numbers, and we'll let you know. We're just giving you, I just want to give you a tease today. I definitely want to hear your DMV stories. And uh, we'll just make, we'll make it, in, we'll turn it into the Saturday podcast, and we'll just listen to DMV stories. It'll be fun. So uh, and you can be part of the Chewing the Fat podcast. And you can be part of the Chew. Come on, man. You're, You're welcome. welcome. <laughs>
Every so often here on Chewing the Fat, we like to delve into a little bit of uh, crime and criminal activity. I mean, you know that from listening to the podcast. Just a little? Just a little. Just a tad. And uh, today we've got uh, Elaine Shannon, a best-selling author and a veteran journalist uh, specializing in national security, organized crime, and terrorism. We do love organized crime. We've done we like do. El Chapo coverage for the last uh, I know. And, a and, month. And her latest book, um, Hunting LaRue, uh, starts with a man named uh, Paul Calder LaRue, and they have a list uh, of just some of the crimes that he was uh, that he was that he was charged with, and it's like twenty two on the list. That's it, just twenty two. I mean, he makes he, I mean, really, uh, El Chapo, pff, nothing. Uh, Paul's got him beaten. Uh, Elaine, what prompted you to you know get into starting to write about Paul? Because I'm guessing uh, you know he didn't say, sure, go ahead, Elaine, write about me. Uh, no, although I look forward to meeting him whenever he shakes free of the prosecutors up in New York. But uh, I was working on a, I was in Afghanistan. I was in the war, uh, writing about the heroin trade that's going on underneath the war and that pays for it. It sure does, and, and I would love to talk to you about that as well. Oh, uh, let's do uh, that. I mean, that is fascinating because on top. Look, I know, I know your latest book, and we, I will get to it with Hunting Larue. But uh, it's my understanding, and what I mean, I'm absolutely positive you've done more in depth than I have. But my understanding is the way uh, the country is set up with the drug lords. I mean. We start from the growers, and then we go through about two or three different levels before it gets out of the country, and it goes through different hands, and it's all being treated like, I mean, that's the way they survive, right? Well, that's the only industry. It's paying for all sides of the war. When I first got there, uh, a guy who was investigating the money, which is what I cared about, which is what everybody cared about, said, we we have a self-funding war here. It's going to go on forever. Wow. That was in 2010, and I looked. I lived there for two years on and off with the police and the DEA guys and mm-hmm. the Treasury guys and the FBI guys and gals, and sure enough, it wasn't going anywhere. The potholes were still there, the graveyards were still there, the rubble was still there, and everybody in power on all sides was getting rich. That's just embarrassing. On our dime and killing our troops and killing our allies and killing innocent people and you know who doesn't who, who didn't want to get rid of the Taliban but I didn't see any way we were going to do it the way we were going I mean it's 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 really embarrassing and and it, uh, I think that the time has come I don't I know that we should I don't know that we should actually have been in there to begin with that's another argument but since we are it's time to get out I mean I don't know I don't know that we've done any good at all especially uh, since you've been there uh, eight years ago, and we're still playing the same the same treadmill. We made a lot of the wrong people rich, and that's how I got into this uh, book. I was yeah. lo- looking at some of the biggest criminal players in the world and how they invest in chaos. They invest in war because war is good for them. Sure. They make money off it. They yeah. sell arms. They can run all the drugs they want, and drugs are have a huge profit margin, uh, it's good for them to have countries in chaos with weak or no governments. Well, uh, one day I heard about uh, this strange guy from out of Africa who was on his own. He was an entrepreneur. He was a solo act. He had created a cartel with his chair and his laptop, and he had a few people around him from the gig economy, but he'd done it all on his own. In the cyberspace virtual world, and I said, well, I've got to find out about him. Yeah, no kidding. This is a new thing. And so uh, as you start digging in, uh, we we talk about uh, this book, actually, um, as I was starting to go through it, uh, is, I mean, it's meant for me to be watching it on a big screen, uh, either in my uh, family room or at a theater. Uh, it's... And, you, and you will. You will <laughs> next year, I understand, Michael Mann. Uh, is making a film of it, and he no one could do a better job. Boy, no he's kidding. Got, he's got that passion for detail, for authenticity, unlike some of the Hollywood people who make it all up and create these yeah. uh, dystopian realms. Yes. I, I, you know, I, I like those movies as much as the next person, but I, my life and the people I meet are so interesting, I don't really need to make up a fantasy world here. Right. You I, ask what LaRue 
was what was the worst thing he was doing. I was just thinking about that. The most interesting and frightening things about him is where he was heading. He was creating an Amazon-style everything store that would deliver chaos and cruelty to every place on the globe. Amazing. He was building a base in Somalia. He had it half done where they would uh, ship arms, including pretty big arms, all over the world, anti-aircraft weapons, bombs, RPGs, all of that stuff. I've got pictures of them. He had cannons. He had... He was building a, an invisible city, a self-contained base, with an airstrip that would accommodate cargo planes. He already had one cargo plane. He was building a seaport. He was bringing in containers of arms. He had built a mercenary team of ex-NATO soldiers, ex-American soldiers, some Canadians, some white South Africans, and he was seriously considering an offer to have them mount a coup in the Seychelles. The only reason he didn't do it is because he thought they'd get kicked out before they made it permanent. He was considering kidnapping wealthy people all over the world, you know, particularly in the beaches in the Pacific and holding them for wow. ransom. He was cementing relationships with the most powerful crime networks on earth, including the Colombian cartels, the Chinese triads, and the Sinaloa cartel. And he was cultivating the Somali pirates, the insurgents in the Philippines, warlords, power brokers in Asia, Africa, South America. I mean, the man was building his own global force. That's right, and it sounds like something Austin Powers would want to combat, but it was dead serious. I mean, he was determined to create chaos throughout the world and get as much money as he could. He was considering selling women. And then, you know, the usual organized crime things, online casinos and, and drugs and all of that. Of but his, what frightens me about him is his ambition and his brain power. He could have done a lot of what he set out to do. And, and really did do uh, uh, plenty of it. Uh, and so when you uh, start looking into it, and I know that, uh, you know, he's uh, now uh, been, uh, you know, incarcerated and arrested, uh, your story uh, takes us, you know, begins with uh, the takedown of, uh, of, of Paul, of LaRue, and uh, five other associates, right? Yeah, actually 10. I was thinking that it was, I was thinking that six of them were all like timed at the same time, right? There were ten. There were ten arrests timed simultaneously wow. okay. in five or six different parts of the world, and that, okay. that had to happen that way because these were trained mercenaries, a lot of them, or professional organized crime guys. It was his North Korean meth team and his mercenary team. These are all people who are trained to get in and get out and disappear. Sure. And so the thinking was, if we don't get them all at once, and they might have a signal, which would be one of those negative symbol <laughs> signals. If you don't hear from me by 8 p.m., disappear. Right. So they had to get them all at once. And it is amazing what they were uh, managed to do. They were in Estonia. They were in Phuket, Thailand. Uh, and they were in Monrovia, Liberia. And they got them all. I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, that's great for uh, for law enforcement, no question. And uh, very, you know, that's a difficult doing when you're uh, crossing uh, uh, different countries and different international borders, that's for sure. Yes, especially since they did it all legally. And that, that meant they had to get the uh, countries where these guys were on board and go through their legal processes and not just kidnap them the way the intelligence agencies do sometimes. They wanted to bring them to court in New York City, and the only way to do that was to do it fair and square and legal the old-fashioned way with a warrant, and they did it. Amazing. I'm I'm actually uh, actually so proud to actually hear that (laughs) in today's world because we hear of so much happening without those things. Now, I'm I'm sorry, go ahead. For me, it's a good news story because I believe in law and order. Yeah. And it, the good guys won fair and square. So, what do you think? Uh, what do you think brought him down? Uh, the same as always, just greed. Uh, you know, did, did he, was he trying to be too big? Because it seems like he was in a, a pretty good space where he could have uh, he could have ridden it out for a little while if he'd uh, just stepped back a little. 
That's right. I mean, it's the seven deadly sins, but it's more than greed. He had already uh, churned through sales of $300 million from his pharmaceutical company, and he had a lot more in gold. Nobody knows how much money he's got stashed around the world. What did him in, I think, was his curiosity. He is probably either a genius or close to it, and he absolutely had to know what other people were doing, and then he had to top them. So when the DEA guys figured out, they got into his head somehow, and they figured out that what turned him on, what excited him, was the idea of getting with the best Colombian cartel on the planet, because he thought that the Colombians were the gold standard. They did it better than anybody else in the days before the Internet and cell phones and all that. If he could get with them, he could make this alliance and then they could go to the moon, figuratively. Right. He was just desperate to know what they did and what they knew that he didn't know. And so he did a stupid thing, and he showed up at the meeting. <laughs> so it, it, uh, that, it's so fascinating. Elaine, I know uh, I know we're up against the clock today, so uh, you know I won't uh, keep you uh, too much longer. But uh, I know uh, Michael Mann, uh, the legendary filmmaker michael mann wrote the foreword and uh the book is out now uh, available wherever fine books are sold wherever you can get it wherever you can find it pick it up it's called hunting larue uh the inside story of the dea takedown of a criminal genius in his empire and you've heard a little bit about this genius in his empire in this interview is there one thing that you walked away with uh, in writing this book or maybe in some of uh some of your uh some of your travels that you think Wow, this guy, if there's another guy like him in the world, we're in trouble. And I think there is. That's what I walk away with. This guy had a fatal flaw, which is his arrogance and his curiosity. But the next guy who who knows how to use the Internet, and we know that there's a dark side of the Internet, and we're starting to see it play out. There are other people out there that are just slicker, smarter, and a little bit more patient. And they're doing it. Scary, really scary. So before uh, before you let uh, Michael Mann uh, put these images in your head, get the book, Hunting LaRue, and put your own images in your head. Elaine, uh, thank you very much for joining us on Chewing the Fat. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Jeff. 